I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On Commons People this week, Biden on the brink of victory. This will not be my victory alone or our victory alone. It'll be a victory for the American people. England re-enters lockdown. The way out is to get the R down now to beat this autumn surge and to use this moment to exploit the medical and technical advances we are making to keep it low. And Labour splits reopen after Corbyn's suspension. Denying there's a problem with anti-Semitism in the Labour Party and that it's just exaggerated or just factional is part of the problem. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Paul War. Hi Arj. Hello Paul. We've also got HuffPost UK's man in New York, Graham Demunick. Hello Arj. Hi Graham, looking surprisingly awake. Uh, <laughs> and we've also got a senior Labour MP who has long held links with US Democrats, Angela Eagle. Hello. Hi Angela, and you're in the House of Commons. I am. Uh, well, while you're in the Commons, all eyes are still on America, where it looks like Joe Biden is on course for victory in the US election. The Democrat challenger has regained former strongholds Wisconsin and Michigan from the Republicans, while Arizona may also have flipped as Biden garnered the most votes of any candidate in US election history. To the surprise of absolutely no one, Donald Trump has reacted by lashing out, threatening legal action over the outcome and trying to stop votes being counted. But the ballots continue to be tossed up in key states, where very close races mean it ain't over till it's over. Still, Biden believes he is on course for victory if all the votes are counted. Let's hear him. Now, every vote must be counted. No one's going to take our democracy away from us. Not now, not ever. America's come too far. America's fought too many battles. America's endured too much to ever let that happen. We, the people will not be silenced. We, the people, will not be bullied. We, the people, will not surrender. My friends, I'm confident we'll emerge victorious. But this will not be my victory alone or our victory alone. It'll be a victory for the American people, for our democracy, for America. And there will be no blue states and red states when we win. Graham, to us here in the UK, the idea that the counting might be stopped seems completely crazy. So so what's going on? And, and is a Biden victory likely now? It, it, it does seem like um, Biden's on, on course. I think he only has to win one of um, a couple of... He only really needs to retain Nevada now. So it is, it's, it's looking positive. But I think everyone's being ultra-cautious um, for, for good reasons. And then we'll probably get into the stage of Trump doing everything he can to try and delegitimize the result. And we've already seen that on his first words um, uh, on election night were claiming that a fraud on the American public had been committed. And I think anyone who saw that would have found that quite chilling. 
So he's not going to go quietly into the night, and we could have knew that beforehand. Um, a peaceful transfer of power was always unlikely with this guy. Um, yeah, there's probably likely to be legal challenges um, down 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 the way, but I think people are going to be looking to compare it to 2000 and Bore, um, Bore, Gore, Gore, Gore and Bush. But I think the dynamics look a bit different to that in as much as Biden would seem to be in the lead and have handy leads. So any legal challenges, I think, would 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 struggle. Um, and the legal challenges would be on pretty specious grounds, it seems to be. So it, it will probably get messy, but whether that changes the outcome, I mean, I mean, who knows? I guess my concern would be what what does the what does the Republican Party do now? Do they go with Trump on his mad crusade to, to delegitimize the vote? And then what happens if it does get to the courts and these years long packing of the courts of Repub- um, sorry conservative judges by the Republican Party, whether that would make a difference? So I, I, I think you'd be kind of foolish, given everything that's gone on in American politics, to say it will be fine. But um, we shall see. We, we shall see. It will, yeah. it will get messy. Um, Angela, what's your take on on what's going on stateside? Are you concerned about how Trump has reacted as the votes have been counted? Well, I, I think Biden will win. I think that uh, what Trump has done is merely to set the narrative for his defeat in a different light as a conspiracy. I think we've seen his use of conspiracy theorists, his refusal to disavow QAnon and some of the 5G stuff um, as kind of laying the uh, groundwork for this kind of betrayal narrative that somehow he won even though he didn't. And it's been quite interesting, I think, to see some of the successful Republican senior senators, uh, Mitch McConnell, for example, slapping him down, because, of course, he's calling into question McConnell's own re-election by saying that somehow there's something wrong with the vote. And I think there's not no judge that I could think of, not even a Republican-appointed judge, could say that you should stop counting the votes in Wisconsin, but carry on counting them in Arizona, where he's catching up at the moment. So I think we have to see it for what it is. It's laying the ground for future claims about him being robbed. And he started clearly laying that ground months ago. Yeah. Are you slightly concerned that this isn't a kind of decisive defeat for for populism and Trump's brand of politics that some were predicting and that it is, has been quite close. And what do you think that means for for Labour Labour going into battle with a kind of fairly populist Tory party? Well, it would have been fantastic to have a huge landslide for Biden and for Bush to be unequivocally uh, not Bush. What am I talking about Trump <laughs> to be un, unequivocally uh, thrown out of office? But the astonishing thing, really, is that despite. Uh, a, a really incompetent, outrageous four years in office that he's actually put millions of votes on and taken this contest as close as it's come. So I do think that those that thought that somehow logic would reassert itself and populism 
is a spent force would be underestimating the appeal of a kind of nativist visceral us and them narrative that blames everybody but yourself for the situation you're in. I think actually the real answer to populism and misplaced nationalisms which seek to divide and rule is not only to try to create unity but actually create societies where those resentments are minimized and if you look at what happened after the second world war when the entire world knew what the uh, a rampaging nationalist agenda could do in europe and elsewhere japan and other places they created societies where those resentments weren't likely to fester and i think the real answer to dealing with this anti-truth a populist narrative that's been so successful in the last period is to start thinking about how to create those societies again and start building them it's about inequality it's about insecurity it's about when somebody says we're all in this together it actually being true paul what what do you think a biden win means for for the uk as we start to think about more widely well i think the the interesting thing obviously the first and most important thing uh, for a lot of people is actually the future of the planet and climate change and obviously um yesterday was the day when formally the 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 Trump administration withdrew or said it wasn't in the Paris climate talks. Biden has made absolutely clear that's one of his priorities. And I think if if nothing else, if Biden doesn't do anything else, it, that could be his one possible lasting legacy is if he actually gets the US somehow to engage more actively on, on tackling climate change. Obviously, it's still a big ask because, you know, as Andrew points out, um, you know, um, the, the narrowness of the victory and also the fact that he's not taking the Senate, um, and has gone perhaps slightly backwards in, in the, the House of Representatives means that he he actually, in terms of pushing through anything radical on climate change, is is limited. And you know that those oil um, dependent states and oil dependent um, politicians, Democrats as much as Republicans, let's be honest, um, are, are, may not be just suddenly going to give it all up just because Biden's in office. But, and it's a big but, I mean, Biden said, and he got hammered for it in the second debate, he said, look, we've got to move away, we've got to transition away from an oil economy. And I think that was quite a brave thing to do. A lot of people thought it was foolish and it, it might have cost him votes in Texas elsewhere. But actually, if he sticks with that, um, and interestingly, he's he's adopted a lot of the radical program of Alexander uh, uh, um, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. And I think he's trying to show some sort of pragmatism with some radicalism. And that's really what has united the Democrats. And I think it's really interesting. There's even a possibility AOC, as she's called, could have been given a cabinet job on, on climate, for example. Um, that would certainly help a lot of the progressive base in, in America. Um, but more importantly, as I say, it might bring America finally into line with what Europe's doing. But that's just on climate change. There's lots of other areas where, and I've talked to people in the foreign office, you know, they said, and I wrote a piece about it overnight, there are quotes quite excited, believe it or not, British Foreign Office about a Biden presidency because of things like the Iran nuclear deal, um, which we have kept on life support despite Trump's attempts to really kill it. Um, and other areas of foreign policy where I think Brits are, are aware that if his hands are tied domestically, 
um, th through the, the Senate, then actually on foreign policy, uh, that's where a president can really make an impact. And it may well be, as Biden has personally involved heavily in, in drafting that Iran deal, that he could revive that. It could be quite interesting. So, uh, Graham, so assuming Biden wins in the next couple <clears throat> of days and, and we get through the legal challenges without any major problems, uh, Trump, under the system of America, Trump's going to be in the White House until January. What's that going to be like? Well, uh, I mean, at the risk of making light of this, I think it could be hilarious. I mean, he's a, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's, he's a lame duck. He'll be sulking. He'll be padding around the White House. He's got nothing to do. He'll have a Twitter account. And I think some of the journalism around this is going to be fantastic. It will be, you know, there'll be some great reads on the detail. I want to know kind of what he's eating, what he's drinking, what his tempers are like. It was the stuff of for kind of fallen emperors, which I think uh, will be fascinating. Um, on a more serious note, yeah, okay, an unhinged guy in charge, um, un unbound or whatever, that 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 poses its, its, its dangers, obviously, but that's been the case for the last three and a half years, so that doesn't really change. And ultimately, the guy doesn't really have any politics, does he? What does he? What does he want? He doesn't have an ideology. All he's ever wanted is to be elected. All he's ever wanted to be is, is president and popular. So what's he, and 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 now he's not. He, now he's not got that. He he's lost his popularity contest. So he's kind of he's kind of a spent force. And I don't really know what he would want to do if he was. You know, if 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 he if he did go off off, off the edge in in any way that's different different to what to what he's already done and again kind of as as Andrew alluded to it's the republicans have already started to distance themselves from him um so he, I, once he is this is, is this lame duck I, I can't see them rallying behind any kind of whatever 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 cause that he wants to mount in in the last few days so maybe i guess we just sit back and enjoy the the, the last the, the the last days of rome uh, under under uh, Donald Trump. I don't, I don't think that will happen at all. Okay. I think that I think that he will carry on having rallies because they're what gives him um, electricity and attention, which is what he craves. Right. Uh, I think that he may try to um, ensure that a member of his family is past the torch in the Republican Party. I would say that was probably a banker, if you ask me. Um, he may decide that there's so many potentially criminal charges he might face to make Pence president so he can be... <laughs> okay. Uh, there's any number of things that might happen, but I'm pretty certain he's not going to to go quietly into the good night. I think he's going to leave office as disgracefully as he gained it in the first place. I think it's, it's interesting, actually. I mean, Andrew, you wrote a book called The New Serfdom, which is all about, you know, the triumphant Tory ideas and how to defeat them. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, that, that the, the conclusions of, of that book might well be even more relevant now. But isn't it interesting that actually with Trump, it's like the Republican Party totally hooked on him as a drug they don't like him they really don't like the taste but boy do they like the result so he's delivered this long-term change in supreme court they've always wanted he's he's massively increased his vote even on last time three million extra votes as you say and in a way the republicans 
I suppose their best take was, oh, yeah, well, we'll use Trump for a while to get into office and then uh, that's fine. We'll deliver all these things and forget about him. But actually, as you say, he may well want to linger uh, and dominate the party for years to come. Yeah. Just I mean, apprentice, the apprentice could turn into dynasty. <laughs> exactly. And he, he he will have all the power, but none of the responsibility for president. So of all the power on the media and through his Twitter account and through all the, who knows, even a new TV account, channel we might set up in opposition to biden and the democrats so you'll, you'll get i can't see him relinquishing power in that sense you know what i mean and 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 i think that's going to be quite interesting the republicans may well have to just complete the bargain with the faustian bargain with the devil which they've already adopted and and stick with him because he does motivate voters and you, you're right about Ivanka. she might be a bit more palatable but i think the problem with the banker is she wouldn't necessarily get all those blue-collar voters out in a way he would because yeah. he talks them in a language that no one else uses. I mean, I, I think also he, uh, he, he's not going to give up and go away. It's not over. He's, uh, he's gained more support. And if anything, he, he's actually better at being um, that sort of political disruptor when he's not in power because then he doesn't have to do the tedious job of actually being president. I mean, obviously, he loses um, the backdrop. But I wouldn't think that he's going anywhere um, fast very soon. And I, I think that there's only one way to stop this kind of thing happening, and that is to shift the social and political and economic agenda rapidly elsewhere so that he, it becomes more obvious that... There is actually now um, a, a, a disjunction between the Trump era and the Biden era. And that's got to be not only about fighting the pandemic more effectively, but getting the arguments onto different ground. And a president, if he doesn't get too bogged down in the stuff that comes straight at him, and let's face it, there's a lot of that, um, he needs to have a very, very uh, coherent strategy for shifting and making that difference in what people are talking about. Otherwise, he's just going to be stuck in the same mire um, uh, uh, with with uh, Trump sort of constantly calling him out. Graeme, you've been keeping an eye on Twitter as well. How's the election unfolded on Twitter? Uh, especially uh, given this weird nature of the race where there's a lot of late counting because of mail-in ballots and things like that. I, I, Twitter was incredibly stressful in those opening opening counts. And I think it was probably one of the worst nights for British Twitter in particular, where it exposed <laughs> a lots of serious journalists who, 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 who have probably just watched a lot of West Wing and not much else, how much they didn't really know very much about American politics and had given up on Joe Biden by about an hour after the polls had closed. <laughs> um, so that was generally dreadful and sent everyone into a spin. Um, and then we realised, oh, no, actually, this one's going to be spread over three days rather than at 10 p.m. in the UK where we find an exit poll and everyone everything's done. So, yeah, no, I found that terrible. And, uh, yeah, it was a bit like, have you seen the film Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler? Yeah, yeah. Which is like two and a half hours of pure stress. Yeah. It, felt very, it felt very much like that, just watching... <laughs> watching US politics. So yeah, not not a great night. Not a great night, I thought, for the I didn't on too late because I thought that it was going to be a long one anyway. And I didn't want to sort of start until the middle of the night in UK terms and find out that Biden had lost Florida and then have to go to bed in despair. So 
I just went to bed earlier and got up early. That's, that's, that's the exact mistake I made, Angela, but there we go. <laughs> uh, but talking of the UK, England has today re-entered a full national lockdown, which Boris Johnson hopes can put a lid on rising coronavirus infections. The Prime Minister is adamant that it will only need to last until December the 2nd, but there are serious questions about what happens if the R rate of COVID remains above one in four weeks' time with Tory rebels threatening to cause trouble if lockdown is extended. Let's just listen to the PM explaining how he plans to use the time bought by the lockdown. And if the House asks me, Mr Speaker, what is the exit strategy? What is the way out? Let me be as clear as I can. The way out is to get the R down now, to beat this autumn surge, and to use this moment to exploit the medical and technical advances we are making to keep it low. We now have not only the much better medication, the prospect of a, of a vaccine, we have the immediate prospect of many millions of cheap, reliable and rapid turnaround tests with a result in minutes. Paul, back in lockdown, is this a failure from the government? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it clearly is a failure of government on, and of the way they govern because... On the one hand, they're trying to make a big thing, and Rishi Tunak said it in the Commons today, that, you know, we're agile. It shows we're agile. It shows we've got an iterative approach and we react, you know, according to conditions. Now, normally, yeah, you give a government benefit of doubt and you say, OK, if conditions change, you want to be flexible, etc. But the fact that it's all so last minute makes you think that actually it, it proves that they don't really have a plan or a strategy. And it's an overwhelming sense of chaos of changing so many times that actually business just won't know where on earth it stands, you know. I mean, they have to plan beyond, you know, a two-week time frame. They, you know, their time frames are long and people's jobs are, are, are directly at risk. And it's extraordinary that Rishi Sunak could sort of rely on this very lame defence today, which was, you know, it's, it proves that we're agile. Actually, that's a strength, not a weakness. And you think, yeah, mate, that's because you've not been made redundant in the last two weeks. And it's that gap between, you know, Sunak showing how inexperienced he is at the end of the day, I think. And that's what they've been showing that for several months. And Labour have been quite smart now and finally you know, um, melding both Sunak and Johnson together as a Laurel and Hardy couple, basically. And that's what they need to do if they have any success in this election. Let's be honest, you know, as Angela knows, given her economic background as a former minister, um, you know, you win the elections on the economy. And Labour's only chance of winning the next election is if it proves to the public again it's credible with, it, with their money and also on the economy more long term. This lockdown and the whole Corona crisis given it an opportunity to say, you know, look, we've got a different model, um, but also keep constantly. It's, it's difficult for Labour because they can't say, look, just throw all the money at it. That will solve everything. And I know that Bridget Phillipson and uh, Annalisa Dodds have been very careful not to say, look, this solution is just loads of borrowing because, you know, that, that that's the easy thing to do. But they also know that it won't necessarily work with the voters they need to win round. So it's difficult for Labour. But I think so far they've been proved right in saying just without necessarily giving an alternative strategy, um, but saying, actually, have you thought of, you know, targeting furlough? Have you thought of, like Andy Burnham says, and he's been proved right, making sure that level of support doesn't reduce? Um, and now the, the last minute dot com government, as we should call them, uh, are finally woken up to all that. Yeah, Angela, uh, Rishi Sunak, as sort of Paul alluded to, has announced an extension of the furlough scheme to March. Um, yeah. 
communities, well, in, the, communities in the north were, were put into tier three lockdown. We're asking for an extension of furlough, eighty percent um, wage subsidy, just a couple of weeks ago, and we're told it, it weren't wasn't possible. Yeah, I don't think my constituents will forget that, by the way. But um, I think that from the beginning, we've seen a very ad hoc approach to this. Uh, and I think given what happened with furlough, if you look at other countries like Germany, who were much uh, more used to having a strategy and a plan and delivering it, they didn't have this elaborate rundown of furlough. So it was due to end last Saturday, just as most epidemiologists would have been telling them there was a prospect of us being in the second wave. They actually had their furlough systems and their schemes last till uh, next autumn. Um, and so what you're not telling uh, businesses and individuals to do is, is somehow manage to find their way through schemes that are constantly changing, where the rules are changing, um, which force employers to make decisions about whether to make people redundant two or three months ago, which now it, it turns out, because they've reinstated the scheme, they never had to do. So what the government have done is created a very, ad, it's generous in places, it skips millions of people who should be um, caught and it excludes them completely, something the government have consistently refused to look at. So it's not fair in some of the ways in which it works. Uh, and then they've, they've then tinkered with it constantly. So employers have had to constantly check what the what the the way furlough changes all the way through to its ending. They've had to check these announcements about the job support scheme, which has been changed three times since he announced it and now isn't going to be introduced because furlough's been extended. So it's a complete mess and it shows a lack of strategic thought. It shows a treasury that somehow, or maybe a chancellor that somehow thought that um, that the virus would do what it was told and go away in a nice way so he could plan a, a route out of the um, of the, uh, the special support, which, of course, has now been demonstrated uh, not to be viable. I think his Eat Out to Help Out scheme appears to have spread uh, the virus around. That's half a billion pounds of support. And some very interesting work demonstrates that that's been increasing infection rates between 9 and 17%. So that was certainly premature. Um, and there are actually a an awful lot of mistakes that he's making, that the slick marketing strategy and the, and the, and the, and the posh signature and, and all of that are, are sort of missing the fact that this is an inexperienced man uh, in political terms, who was flung into a job just as it turned really serious. And he calls it being agile. I call it making it up as you go along with that proper plan. Yeah, and um, Paul, interesting in Rishi Sunak's statement that he talked about um, the fact that the government was kind of betting on increased NHS capacity and test and trace together, allowing it to not have to essentially go back into lockdown. Just quickly, um, is there any semblance that the government has a plan to sort out test and trace well there is and, and the, there is and the test the, the the plan is to basically go local um they finally work woken up to the fact that you know they they should have gone local earlier on um and there's now lots and lots of um councils and public health teams that are going local and taking over some of the contact tracing and it, it, it's the tracing bit that really matters not just this testing as i've said before you know why doesn't the government have a target for 
the amount of tracing they're doing. They've got these massive targets for testing. That's fine. But where's the target for tracing? Where's the commitment? Where's the guarantee? And they need to do that properly. Um, I think the the, the, the the everyone's fingers are crossed that actually these local contact teams can actually um, turn it around. But, you know, it might need a, a totally radical overhaul to the whole system. The, the fundamental problem still remains whether or not people are going to self-isolate. Are you going to self-isolate if someone, if you get an 0300 number or whatever number ringing you up saying, actually, uh, we we're going to, you, you've met somebody in the last week. We want you to stay at home uh, under virtual house arrest and we're going to cu cut your income. That's not very attractive prospect. So the one big thing that Sunak hasn't announced today is an increase in statutory sick pay or an increase in self-isolation. I, I don't quite understand why it hasn't. You know, if you're going, why not go the whole hog? You've done furlough till March. Why not do the other big thing that could actually transform the path of the virus, which more immediately um, um, is actually to talk about proper support for people who are isolating. You know, yeah, um, Scandinavia, that it's very, very generous. And, um, you know, why not? Yeah, we, we've got to move on. So I just wanted to ask Graham quickly. Biden obviously won't be president until next year. So what kind of winter is America facing as COVID sort of surges mm -hmm. there as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a pretty bleak one, I think. I mean, the US is going through its third third wave of cases, never mind its second. And I don't think anyone would be surprised given... The response from Donald Trump, I mean, you know, maybe injecting bleach was probably the, uh, you know, the, the zenith of his suggestions. <laughs> and I mean, in these rallies that we talked about, he was, you know, he was he was encouraging people to chant sack Fauci. And I just imagine, you know, the idea that Boris Johnson's response has been not great, that he would be at a rally where people are, ch are chanting sack Chris Whitty in the UK. I think that would be. <laughs> extraordinary so yeah no it's it's been terrible and um I, I guess the difference in the in the in 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 the us is it's a federal system so in in new york where i am which is you know it's it's it was pretty grim um in march you know i'll probably never forget the kind of constant scream of sirens um you know on 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 the every every half hour but we do seem to have got it under control now um you know more so perhaps in the UK, but that's perhaps because we've been in a kind of tier two, tier, tier three system the whole time. Um, you know, we, there was no charge back to the bars like there was to the pubs maybe in the UK. But then you look to other parts of the country and there's football stadiums that are kind of a quarter open. You'd see this on, you know, NFL Sunday. And it, and the response is so different because, you know, I don't even notice it's quite a, pre a pretty big country. So it's, 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 it's going to be bad. And I think as soon as Biden gets in charge and can put scientists back at the top of it and can put a bit of common sense um, it, it, at the centre of the, the, the government's the, 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 the government's response, the better. But yeah, that will be January, and 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 the worst will have already happened. So yeah, it's going to be bleak. You're saying just before you move on, um, uh, our prime minister isn't isn't doing the equivalent of shouting sack Chris Whitty, but I think half of the Tory backbenchers uh, would probably agree with that sentiment, sadly. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, since we were last on, there has been serious drama in Labour land with the suspension of Jeremy Corbyn over his reaction to the Equality and Human Rights Commission's report on anti-Semitism in the party. Last Thursday, the EHRC found Labour committed unlawful acts of harassment and discrimination while Corbyn was leader 
and Corbyn reacted by claiming the allegations were, quote, dramatically overstated by his political opponents, which earned him a swift suspension on what Keir Starmer called Labour's day of shame. Let's just hear the current leader uh, reacting to Corbyn's comments. I was very disappointed in the comments. I wanted to read them in full. It's very important that the decision follows the rule book, so it's a decision for the General Secretary. But having said what I said in such clear terms about anti-Semitism, having made it my clear commitment to root out anti-Semitism, and having said in my response yesterday that denying there's a problem with anti-Semitism in the Labour Party and that it's just exaggerated or just factional is part of the problem, I was disappointed in Jeremy Corbyn's response. Paul, uh, could Corbyn's suspension create problems for Starmer or does annoying the left of the party just not really matter anymore? Well, the one one problem it instantly created was the there are these things going on for the NEC, these elections going on for the nine constituency places. And I do know that some of the people uh, who are pro-Starmer were very worried about that suspension, only in the sense that it's, it, it instantly galvanised the left to try and mobilise themselves to get to elect left-wingers back onto the NEC. And that was one instant impact. And they were worried that actually suddenly they had a cause celeb. They'd been drifting away. Some of their members just weren't interested under Starmer. But suddenly they've got something to rally around. And I think that is one worry for Starmer. But in the grand scheme of things, that election is now proportional. So actually it might not make a big difference as a STV vote for it. Um, you can't win the whole seats if you do well. So um, there's that element. But more importantly, the one thing that really surprised me was just Corbyn's words. I mean, he was singularly ill-advised in putting out that statement. Um, Nadia Whittam, who's the, I think she's the baby of the house. She's the young, one of the youngest MPs in the house, put out a statement on the day that was a model of a left-wing response to, or, or any response to, to that report. And, and she had the good wit to say, look, she, it was com- full of contrition and apology to the Jewish community and said, we've made these massive mistakes. We've now got to address it and move on. And that she, that's a young MP. Imagine if Corbyn had done the same thing, then he wouldn't be in the same boat. He would have bought himself some sort of credit to say, yeah, the, I'll hold my hands up. Things went wrong. They've got to improve. Instead, it was compl- it was that instinctive defensiveness we've talked about before that has got Corbyn into so much trouble, whether it's on uh, anti-Semitism, whether it's on Russia, you name it. It's that innate sort of defensive nature that my enemies in the media are out to get me, so I'm going to lash out. And as a result, you know, the party lashed out at him. And I, and I thought it was he, – he basically, in that one statement – undermined everything he tried to do to to correct his reputation and now uh, equally i think a lot of the people around him like len mccluskey and co suddenly realized whoa yeah if uh, all these members left-wing members are, are now leaving in droves we've made the big mistake so there was a bit of a reverse ferret where they said oh please don't leave please don't leave we've got to fight so you know but angela yeah. knows a lot more about that than i do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Angela, you ran against Corbyn for the leadership in 2016. What what did you make of last week's events? Well, I thought the first thing to say is that we, we all need to apologise to our Jew- Jewish colleagues and the Jewish community for what they've had to put up with. And I think it's shameful that the party which created the EHRC and which led the way in putting anti-discrimination legislation on the statute book from the 19. 19- Uh, 60s on ought to be discovered in this place and I think Jeremy should just have apologised. 
Yeah, fair enough. And and and, and obviously, it's an independent process. But do you think he has to apologise now to have that suspension lifted? What I literally what I literally can't talk about it, but I think yeah. an apology would would probably go a long way. And are you concerned about unity in the Labour Party? Keir Starmer obviously ran as a unity candidate. Well, uh, unity is an important thing, but so are standing up for the values of which your political party is based on. And I think non-discrimination and ensuring that people aren't treated differently because of their uh, gender, their creed, uh, their uh, colour, um, or their disability the, is, is really, really, really important. And that's at the very heart of Labour's values, and we can't compromise on them. And, Angela, a lot of the anti-Semitism, or some of it, the most extreme forms, seem to be on Merseyside. Um, obviously, it wasn't just Luciana Burge who was driven out, but, the, you know, Louise Ellman has complained about it. There's that infamous case of a woman called Louise Bibby who uh, wasn't... wasn't um, reprimanded for sharing a very anti-Semitic image. Um, do you get the sense on Merseyside that actually some of these people now are leaving the party um, or are they digging in? Yes, yeah, some are and some aren't. As, as always, there's a, a split on, on the way that these things ought to be approached. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, as a political party that believes in uh, equality and anti-discrimination and has got a very, very proud record up until this point, we do need to ensure that we defend our values. And if that means that people who don't share them uh, or don't understand that they don't share them, who have a casual approach to um, anti-Semitic tropes, need to be dealt with, as uh, Keir Starmer has, has said. And I, I support that fully. Great. Well, it's time for the quiz. A very quick quiz. Oh, no. All on American politics. Ooh. Uh, no. Just shout the answer if you know it. Question number one. The Republicans have an elephant as their symbol, but what is the Democrats? The yes. Well done, Angela. <laughs> fastest. fastest well, uh, finger first. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, that was all because in 18... Does anyone know why? They no. Uh, in 1828, uh, Andrew Jackson, who was a Democrat, uh, his critics called him a jackass because he was a populist, interestingly. Um, and Jackson decided to run with it and use the image of a donkey in his campaign ads. Uh, question number two. Under the electoral college system, which two states do not operate a winner-takes-all approach? And in Nevada fact, is definitely one, I think. No, it's not. Sorry. Alaska. Is it? It gets one beginning with N. Oh, did, you say, did you say Nebraska, Angela? Yeah. Yeah, Nebraska is one and Maine's the other, Graham. Maine's the other, yes. yeah. I'll give, I'll, give you, uh, I'll give you a point each. I'll give you a point each. Why not? Uh, <laughs> which means that Angela can be pegged back. Paul is, is out of the race to win this quiz. <laughs> the final question. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll give a point each for these as well to keep it interesting. Graham, you can still win. Um, two presidents in history have won 49 out of 50 states in an election. Who were they? FDR? Nope. Clinton? Nope. Was Jackson one? Nope. Just going to go through them all now, are we? Um... I'll give one. Everyone one guess each. I've had my guess. (laughs) Yeah. Reagan and Nixon. Oh. Wow. 
Damn. Really? Reagan in 1984. That's amazing. Nixon in 1972. That's incredible. Wow. Hopefully, hopefully my source is correct. I think it is. I was hoping, Raj, that you would tell us why there, uh, maybe, Andrew knows this, why is, why is Democrat blue and Republican red? Apparently, it's just, a, I did look look at this earlier, and apparently it's just kind of the media just sort of made it up. It's really? just the computers, really. It's very, very confusing. And, yes. and it's, it's the, red, the red wall that people now say in UK politics. No wall, yeah. Red one bullet. That, we, we, the UK's just picked that up from the US, right? In the last eighteen months, have, yeah, because of the blue wall. I reckon they must have. Yeah, it's a democratic blue wall, which is being rebuilt by Joe Biden, brick by brick. Well, that gives us all hope for the future. <laughs> well, on that note, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests for joining me, and make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels, and please be sure to leave a review. Please also check out the final episode of Graham's own podcast, Running Mate, which is on the US elections, but aimed at Brits. And be sure to get your daily dose of what's happening in Westminster by subscribing to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash the hyphen war hyphen zone. Uh, and we'll just leave you with the thoughts of Donald Trump's so-called spiritual advisor, Paula White. Victory, 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 victory. For angels are being released right now. Angels are being dispatched right now. Hamanda, aka, ata, rata, teda, baka, sanda, ata, ambo, osa, kata, rite, eke, banda, ata, rike, didi, ashata. For angels have even been dispatched from Africa right now. Africa right now. Africa right now. From Africa right now. They're coming here. They're coming here. In the name of Jesus from South America, they're coming here, they're coming here. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.